888-528-5732. You're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover. And good afternoon. You are listening to Cover to Cover, open oh, open book. It's not Friday. It's Stone's Throw, and you normally listen to Jennifer Stone. She'll be back next week as we continue, try to bring this uh, fun drive to an end this week. And with that, in that spirit, we're bringing you Maud Barlow. Maud Barlow is an internationally renowned water activist, author, and national chairperson of the Council of Canadians, Canada's largest citizens advocacy group, and she's speaking on Blue Covenant, her latest book, and that talks about the global water crisis and the coming battle for the right to water. She spoke at an event in February... And, uh, this was, uh, this took place at the Congregational Church in Berkeley and it was presented by the International Forum on Globalization. It included Anuranda Mittal, the Executive Director of the Oakland Institute, as well as Winona Hodder, which, uh, she is the Executive Director of Food and Water Watch. Without further ado, we go to Maud Barlow. Stay with us. So we're here to talk about water, and I'm not going to talk too long at you because I'd really rather talk with you. The first thing I want to say is that I consider the global water crisis to be the greatest humanitarian and or human rights and ecological crisis of our time. That's not to compete with climate change, but rather to say that the situation with water now is the first face of climate change. The, the statistics you could not exaggerate. There are close to 2 billion people living in, in water-stressed areas of the world. Uh, One-third of the people in, in the continent of Africa are now suffering from a lack of water. In 10 years, it will be one-half of the people living in Africa. The statistics are quite stunning. Every single day, more children die of waterborne disease than of HIV, AIDS, malaria, car accidents, and more put together. So we are dealing with a, a totally and completely preventable and, and largely political reality that people around the world who cannot pay for water are suffering and dying as we speak. Half the hospital beds in the world are filled with people who would not be there had they been able to afford clean water. So it is not only an ecological crisis, but a human rights crisis. And I do want to say it's very much a women's crisis. Um, I've been hearing more and reading more and speaking more with women who are saying that it's also uh, leading to an increase in violence against women again when women are the primary ones responsible for finding water. They go out to seek it, they come back without it, and they get beaten. And I remember very clearly, it's just a, 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 a powerful memory, standing on a hill in Cochabamba, Bolivia, um, to be and being present at the, the the first turning on of a tap of a public water source in this in this community, this very poor community, who had fought to kick Bechtel out, um, and suddenly finally had their water, and they were all dressed in their best outfits, and the, the men were all standing and giving speeches, and women were all sitting. Uh, behind, and the, you, you look down, there was a long, long hill and a, and a little river, a polluted river, very, very far down the, the hill. And so the men gave their speeches. This, I, they said to me, Would you like to say something? And I said, You know, I'd like to hear from one of the women. And, and one of the women elders got up and she started to moan and kind of cry and wail. And she said that every single year, women hemorrhage to death going up that hill carrying these heavy bags of water on their backs. And that now, with this public water that belonged to everybody, 
and to which they had a right, this would no longer happen. So when you, when you understand the life and death nature of this, it becomes very powerful. And at the same time, we can't look at it just as a development or a human rights issue because there isn't enough clean water for everybody unless we stop polluting. And I can't say strongly enough to you that we are in a, an ecological crisis around water and it is not just polluting of water. We're actually running out of uh, potable water in the world. The reason that's happening is that as we pollute our surface water, particularly in the global south, people no longer have access to the lakes and the rivers and the streams that they used to use for their livelihood and food production and so on. So what they're doing is turning to groundwater, and we're pumping groundwater faster than it can be replenished by nature everywhere in the world. India alone has 23 million bore wells going 24-7, which means that sometimes that people will go to bed at night in a community or a valley or a farming area, and they'll have water, and then next morning they wake up and the entire valley is dry. And this is happening everywhere. It's happening in China as China uses its water and diverts its water, not just from groundwater, but from wilderness and from river systems and ecosystems to produce all of the goods that it's exporting all over the world. Um, and again, whole communities wake up and, and the water is gone. Uh, we're also taking water from wilderness and sending it to great big megacities where if... Uh, it's not returned in back to the, the watershed, it's dumped in the ocean if they're anywhere near the oceans. We're also urbanizing, paving over wetlands and forests and the, the, the water retentive landscapes that are necessary in order for the hydrologic cycle to continue and creating massive amounts of desert. China alone is creating a new area of desert the size of Rhode Island every single day. And finally, we're involved in something called virtual water trade, which is where you use your own water in a community or a country to produce something, usually food, and then you uh, transport it out of the country, you export it. So you're not exactly exporting the actual water, but you're, ac you're exporting a product that needed water to produce. And since we have, as Jerry said, still have this notion of unlimited growth, economic globalization, <clears throat> export-oriented competition, we don't stop and ask ourselves if that's feasible. And you should know that in your country, in the United States, you're now sending a third of the water out of the country every single day. Every single day, a third of your potable water um, is being sent away in the form of these exports. <clears throat> there are now 36 states that are in danger of serious to severe water crisis in this country, a number of them, of course, facing it right now. So these are really powerful questions. So what's happening is that we're laying pipelines around the world, much like the pipelines that now exist to carry oil and gas from one place to another and we're moving water from where nature put it to where we want it to water deserts, to grow food that's unsustainable uh, and of course very often the oasis that waters the desert in, a, in turn becomes the desert itself and as strongly as I can say tonight to you I want to say this, we are interrupting the hydrologic cycle we are creating massive amounts of desert and we have not uh, place this uh, equation into the analysis of climate change. The drying up of the surface of the earth from our displacement, mismanagement, pollution of water is the, is the ground level equivalent of greenhouse gas emissions, which then, of course, trap the, the heat from above between the melting the glaciers. So we are not in a cyclical drought, and I have to say that as strongly as I can, particularly here in this part of the world. Uh, there are what the scientists call hot stains, places that are actually drying up. The Middle East, 
22 countries in Africa, all of northern China, huge parts of India. These are countries that have water, some of them, some don't, didn't to start with. Australia, the Mexican Valley, and of course, uh, uh, the southwest of the United States, and now uh, more and more we're seeing it on the eastern seaboard as well. And so if we can get the analysis right about climate change, it's going to help us get the, the, the story right. Those are two crises that come together, but I would offer that there's a third. And the third is that as water becomes more precious, and you know, we all learned back in grade six or whatever that the hydrologic cycle can't be interrupted. And you know, where can the water go? As we're learning that's not true, <clears throat> what's happening is that large corporations have decided that this is the most precious commodity on earth. When I wrote Blue Gold six years ago, there were no indexes on the stock exchange where you could trade and buy water. It didn't exist. Now there are dozens of them. It, from every facet of life, every, every phase of a water drop's life, from when we take it out of the ground, a river, an aquifer, or whatever, to the cycle through the human use, through agricultural use, through back through the hydrologic cycle, water is becoming owned and controlled by a corporate cartel. And I worry very much that as water becomes more precious, as the demand for it grows, as the population demand increases around the world, corporations are going to be able to make life and death decisions around who gets water and who doesn't. Um, we know there are, of course, the big uh, service utility companies like Suez and Veolia. The World Bank has forced these on the developing world. I mean, you try to imagine uh, standing in a place uh, called uh, Orange Farm, which is a great big township in South Africa with about a million people in it. Poverty, as far as you can see, rats in the gutter, no running water, people have pit latrines, uh, total poverty. But finally, because in the Constitution in South Africa they have the right to water, there are pipes coming up to each block, not really to each home or hovel, but to each block, and, and taps. But between the pipe and the tap is a water meter. And the only way you can get water from the water meter is to take your electronic key and go pay to get it charged up and then you touch it to the electronic water meter and then every single drop that you take is counted. And this is the way um, the, the, the world is denying or uh, uh, giving access to water to depending on whether people can pay or not. As, as you know, I stood there watching this and watching the people go to the river that had cholera warning signs on it. I thought of the saying, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. It kind of gave new meaning to it. Uh, one of the, the, the lovely stories here, though, is that the South African municipal water workers uh, who come in and have to install these during the day often come back at the, in the evening after hours and show people how to break into them. <laughs> so, I mean, there is <clears throat> great anarchy here. These corporations are also all over the global north um, and um, coming to a community near you as we uh, cut back on funding for infrastructure and so on to uh, local facilities and municipal, municipalities. Um, these companies are circling around and they're here in, in North America as well. And then we have bottled water, of course. Last year in the world we put something like 50 billion gallons of water in plastic bottles around the world. It's growing at 10 to 15 percent a year. It's a form, in my opinion, of collective insanity to be putting that much water in, in chemical and fossil fuel containers that go out then and contaminate the water systems that are in decline. And on the whole, bottled water is not safer than in, uh, tap water and is far less regulated and it's one of the areas of corporate control that we really have to challenge. In uh, this image of um, being in Plachamata, Kerala in India with the women sitting across from the Coca-Cola factory 
who for three years sat in silent protest about the fact that Coke had gotten a contract to take the water out of the ground, build a great big armed fortress around this water system, and then uh, proceed to take every drop of water from the local community. And these, the local community, tribal people, some of the poorest people in the world, fought back so hard that last year the Supreme Court of, of India shut uh, Coca-Cola down. An absolute victory. <clears throat> Now, what we're calling for and the work that we're doing with Food and Water Watch and my organization in Canada and with what we call the Water Warriors, the global water justice movement around the world, is that we're basically calling for a halt to economic globalization, the Washington consensus, market-based unregulated capitalism, unregulated uh, non-stop free trade, and unlimited growth. We say the system is killing the planet. We have hit the biocapacity of the planet, and we have we've started to surpass it. And unless we curb our behavior and unless we change our ways here in the global north, there is absolutely no way we can convince, nor should we be able to, anyone in the global south to join us in a fight to save uh, the world's carrying uh, biocapacity. <clears throat> and this is particularly true for water. So we're calling for a blue covenant, hence the, the title. Uh, and a, this covenant basically has three parts. The first part is the covenant from us to the earth. And, and the most important things that we can do is stop polluting, is to have strict, strict laws against anyone polluting any industry, any industrial agriculture, pollution of our water systems. Source protection is so important. And if we mean it, we pass laws and we, and we abide by them. And we consider it a crime against the future and a crime against future generations to allow people today to pollute water for tomorrow. Uh, Martin Luther King said legislation may not change the heart, but it will restrain the heartless. And we have to restrain the heartless among us. And there are people out there. You go on the websites of some of these corporations. They say there's a water crisis. And boy, is there money to be made from this water crisis. So what we have is a, is a situation where people have no choice but to stand up and fight. And this one of the, the leaders in this movement in this particular community said... You know what? You may as well put a bullet in my head as make me die of that stuff in there or watch my children die that way. And so the global water justice movement has become a gift to all of us, not just to those of us in the water movement. But it's become a gift to us in that they, the, the courage and the ingenuity. I mean, the folks in Uruguay put that plebiscite where they had to get almost two-thirds, I think it was 60 percent, of all the people who lived in Uruguay to sign this plebiscite and put their fingerprint and they checked to see if there were any doubles because if they found any doubles, they threw the whole thing out. They did all of this until we got involved on one computer held together by duct tape, you know. And we helped them with get some more computers and to, you know, with just some bit of a transfer of resources in order to make this happen. But it is so moving to watch and to watch the respect of the North and the South together that we're not, it's not us teaching that, but rather that we all together are trying to learn how to live within nature's laws, how to share equitably um, in a world of demand, increasing demand and diminishing supplies and, and the wonderful ingenuity that that takes. And it's been a, a privilege, a rare and wonderful privilege to work in this. I just want to end by saying that what I, I see really two kind of futures here. As Woody Allen would say, two paths, one leads to total and utter destruction and the other to the end of everything. <laughs> and, then he, and then he says, may we have the courage to choose wisely. 
But there really are two choices. One choice, which is where we're going now, with some exceptions, is conflict. It's major conflict. There's geopolitical conflict. China, I keep going back to China because it's such a stunning story. They've got a lot of water. They've got as much water as we have in Canada. But what they've done is they've transferred that water to their you know, production of all the toys in the world and so on. Um, so they've built a pipeline or they are building a massive pipeline to take the water from the, Himalaya, the Tibetan Himalayas and, and, and divert it to China. Now that water in the Tibetan Himalayas feeds the five major rivers of Asia. I mean, you want to talk about coming war? You think about China helping itself to the water that belongs to the rest of the continent. Um, you know, so we, we the, the potential, and I, uh, I've also wrote about here how water as a national security issue has gone to the top of the Bush agenda. Six years ago when I wrote Blue Gold, there was none of this. But now there's a consortium uh, that's uh, advising the Bush administration and the Pentagon, which in, and it includes uh, all these right-wing think tanks and some companies like Coca-Cola, of course, and Lockheed Martin. So it's very interesting how the kind of security, military, uh, you know, blanket kind of starts to cover this uh, concern of, of, of wither water. It's becoming like energy, a geopolitical resource, and there's going to be struggle over it. There are also going to be continued struggles, growing struggles around between rich and poor. You go to countries where people are, are, don't have water in one community and across the river, there's all the water for the golf courses and the shopping malls and everything else that people need or people can ha access if they have the money. And so it, this is becoming one of those issues of the great divide. There's nothing kind of quite like seeing someone die of water to make you understand or make one understand um, that uh, not having money is literally um, the, the, great, it's the great divide. Uh, in terms of, 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 of who will live and who will die. There is conflict between rural communities, wilderness, nature, uh, indigenous peoples, and megacities. I mean, we have these huge megacities growing very often because farmers and other people displaced from the land move off the land and come in as the new poor in, in these urban centers. Um, and in Mexico, Mexico cities run out of water. So what they've done is they built these pipelines. One of them goes into the heart of an indigenous community of a people called the Bazaos. And they, again, they put this fortress. Think fortress. Think water. Think fortresses. They took the confiscated the water source, built a great big fortress with armed guards and, and barbed wire and dogs. I've been there. Um, and to see the indigenous women there and their little, in their outfits of their skirts and holding these pretend rifles, their little wooden carved rifles standing out there. They call themselves commandant. You know, um, they got their, their commandant in Maria and so on and standing guard out there just to show resistance, although the resistance is them just standing there. That's the resistance. Although re recently some of them have been actually taking um, sharp objects to <laughs> the pipeline that takes the water from their community to Mexico. And so we see that kind of fighting. Farmers in a, in a valley in Klamath in, in Indonesia get up in the morning and they meet each other with machetes and knives to see who can get the little bit of water that has been collecting in the, in the, in the cisterns and so on. They literally fight each other for the water. And this is an old story, isn't it? Instead of fighting power, we fight each other. Um, and we're also going to find, I think, uh, struggles between people and nature. And we are already, as a human species, taking way more than our share of, of the natural world and, and, waters, and what water has given to us. So that's one, that's one scenario. 
and it's happening now. But there is another scenario that is also happening now, and that is where people are coming together and saying, if we can just figure out this thing around water, if we can just figure out how this can be, we can perhaps water can become nature's gift to us um, to teach us how to live in harmony with one another and, with, and in peace with the earth. And if we can build on this global water justice movement, and if we can have a set of principles that say water, that nobody owns water, that it belongs to the earth and it belongs to all species and it belongs to future generations and no one has the right to, to claim it for profit and no one must be denied it uh, because they cannot pay. If we could agree on those principles and those fundamental principles and that the earth has rights and other species have rights, we would build lifestyles and we would build laws that would make a more sustainable world and a more sustainable future. Thank you very much. The voice of Maud Barlow, who is the head of Council of Canadians, Canada's largest public advocacy, advocacy organization and founder of the Blue Planet Project. She is a recipient of Sweden's Right Livelihood Award, known as the Alternative Nobel. She's the author of 16 books, including Blue Gold. And her latest book, which is what we heard her talking about right now in this conversation, is Blue Covenant, The Global Water Crisis and the Coming Battle for the Right to water. She spoke in uh, Berkeley on February 20th at the Congressional uh, Congregational Church of Berkeley and she this was an event that was presented by the International Forum on Globalization and this is what we are offering right now in the next few minutes that we have left. Here on Cover to Cover Stone's Throw is what you usually tune into. Jennifer Stone will be back next week but right now we're trying to bring our spring fun drive to an end in a successful manner in a way that helps sustain KPFA sustain Pacifica so we could continue to bring you this type of information. Maud Barlow, again, has written several books, mostly on uh, the um, free trade agreements. She is an advocate for uh, water rights, as you have heard, and we are able to offer you the CD of this conversation. This conversation uh, was with her as well as uh, Anaranda Mittal, who is the executive director of the Oakland Institute and Winona Hodder, who's uh, the Executive Director of Food and Water Watch. And this is a conversation that is, uh, will give you a lot of information. And it's not just a dire conversation. She talks about the hopeful situations, as you heard in Uruguay, where they had a plebiscite talking about the um the against the non uh, the privatization of water she talks about south africa where the same workers that install these meters actually at night show people how to uh, get around them she talks about india where this small village uh, where the women gathered and through Coca-Cola out. She talks about Bolivia, where they actually have installed tap water in small remote uh, areas in that in, in that country. And we are able to offer you this CD for a $60 pledge. If you call now within the 510 area code, that's 848-5732. Outside of that, our toll-free number is one 800 
439-5732. That's 1-800-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. And, of course, you could always go online at kpfa.org, as uh, Alina Constantine did. Thank you so much for going to kpfa.org. And you can do that as well. We are in our last week. We just have two more days. We are committed to ending on Thursday, but we need your help to be able to do that. So you could tune into your regular programming, whatever it is that you have tuned into um, or whatever it is that you tune into regularly, whether it be cover to cover, whether it be hard knock radio, whether it, whether it be free speech radio news, you know what it is that you tune into. It's important that you do tune in, uh, that you do call in rather because obviously you are tuned in if you're listening to this, but that you do call in and pledge your support for KPFA. Again, 510-848-5732, outside of the 510-1-800-439-5732. And I am very happy to be joined by Lem Lem Regio, who's our Interim General Manager. Hey, Lem Lem. Hi, Amelia. Um, I was just listening to Matt Barlow talk about water and how... Um, water is a public property, a property of the commons and not something to be owned for profit-making purposes. Um, here, media, we feel the same way about media. We are not owned by any profit-making corporation. But there is no corporation that pulls our strings, that threatens to cut our funding if we critique one thing or another. And that's why we are able to do the kind of programming we do. Um, and that's what we're asking you to invest in so it can continue to thrive. Uh, and you can do so by calling 1-800-439-5732, 1-800-439-5732, or 510-848-5732. You can also pledge securely online at kpfa.org. It's fast, it's convenient, um, and you get to choose from a thank you gift that you would like. Uh, we have over 100 thank you gifts there, music, CDs. They're all categorized by... Type uh, So you can look for a public affairs CD, DVD, documentary film, a book, whatever may um, entice you. We just want you to join our family, our community of independent community broadcasting. And we're asking you to do so on f- by phone or on the web this afternoon at 1-800-439-5732 or www.kpfa.org. And again, the gifts that you can get if you call now within the next four minutes, you could get the speech that you heard Maud Barlow speaking in, in Berkeley on February 20th, or you could get the book, uh, Blue Covenant, The Global Water Crisis by Maud Barlow, where blue gold left off. And uh, this is a great book that is a passionate call to action from one of the leading voices in the global struggle for universal access to the Earth's most vital element, water. A great sequel to the acclaimed Blue Gold. Yours for the asking if you call now with a $125 pledge. I'll remind you that $125 is only $10.50 if you do our monthly sustainer program. And again, you could get the speech $60 for $5 a month and you could get both for 14, less than $14.20 a month. What's important is that you get KPFA. Like Lem Lem was saying, this is about public access. This is about no one owning anything. And just imagine if we had corporate underwriting from Coca-Cola. We would not be able to bring you this. Right. Imagine if we were p- pushing Dasani bottled water. Imagine if we were pushing any other corporate uh, underwriting here. We would not be able to bring you 
the voices of of such luminaries as Maud Barlow, such as uh, such as Michael Eric Dyson, such as Amy Goodman, all the people that we bring you here. Uh, at KPFA, we would not be able to do that if we had corporate underwriting. But instead, we count on you as you count on us. Won't you go to the phone and pledge your support? 1-800-439-5732. That's our toll-free number locally, 848-5732. We have all lines available. We've got at least uh, four volunteers waiting for your call. Please, won't you go to the phone, pledge your support? 1-800-439-5732. Maud Barlow reminds us of the, the crucial uh, reason why we need to take this on. This is the next phase. This is more precious than oil, if you think about it. And she talks about it, reminds us about it, but she also tells us about the triumphant stories that are going on around the world. You could be inspired, and you could also understand the necessity to get on on board in this struggle. She talks about desalination plants being built in California along the coast. She talks about this happening in over 36 states here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Please go to the phone now, 1-800-439-5732-848-5732. And the other thing, Amelia, is just listening to food and water are not things that we think of as political, right. but they're actually highly, highly political. So if you're becoming if, more and more so. Uh, exactly. And if this is a book that you think would be um, appropriate for the public to know about, uh, about water politics, get it and donate it to the library. And that way you will be supporting two institutions, your local media institution and your, as well as your library. Or you can give it to a school, um, to a student. Uh, the reason that we think our programming matters is because it impacts public policy. It impacts activism. Um, a lot of people who are involved in activist work, whether it's around food and water or other things, um, listen to KPFA and make contacts, make make networks, and gather information, gather uh, investigative reports that they use to impact public policy. One eight hundred four three nine five seven three two. I just listened to Amelia a couple of minutes ago say we need four callers. We have. One minute to go, and we can one get minute. four. If we can get four callers in one minute, four callers, four listeners, four of our beloved community of listeners to say 